What's going on, everyone? This is George Khalife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. This is probably uh, the most interesting uh, episode because we're just uh, joking, Swish and I, that this is the first repeat uh, podcast I do ever. Um, Swish, uh, obviously being like a really close friend of mine now, um, avid basketball player on Saturdays, YMCA, what's up? Um, and, and I think probably the person that's, that's most well-known in Toronto, aside from Kawhi Leonard, um which i'm gonna ask you by the way later on what we think of that um but swish is the ceo and founder of true fan true fan is basically a marketing platform that helps uh anybody as an influencer celebrity athlete you name it uh, engage and know identify their top fans they recently did a really cool video actually for the raptors if you haven't seen it you should really check it out just google it you'll find it um swish is building a really cool team he's a serial entrepreneur my man is a three-time tedx speaker Canada's top 20 under 20. Uh, this guy's done a lot in a very short amount of time, and I'm very excited to have him on again because the first time I had him on, he wasn't still working on TrueFan. So this is basically what we want to talk about today, what's going on there and, and what's ahead uh, you know, in the coming years. Thanks again for doing this, man. I appreciate it, dude. I hope I don't contradict myself uh, on anything I say from the previous episode. <laughs> D- disclaimer, by the way. I, should, I, I really should have listened to that episode again, but yep, I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me man uh you you know you co-founded obviously true fan uh pretty recently actually so I, I guess you know the first thing i want to know from you is is how did that idea come about i know obviously you know you're you're big on content creation uh you really use social channels very well but how did the idea really start definitely i mean it, it started a year and a half ago honestly you said a short time but for me that feels like 10 years right now i don't even know but it's just we've gone through so much that i feel like we started it a while ago but um started a year and a half ago i was actually at the time working on something called dunk d-o-n-k with my roommate elliot in new york um we had a really big following on social media specifically for one account at d-u-n-k on instagram which had about 2.3 million followers very much focused towards basketball And uh, when we were selling merchandise, we realized it was really hard to do it. And it would be really awesome to have a list of people that are are engaged and influential followers. So we could give them free merchandise that they can promote or they can buy directly from us. So we built out the algorithm initially primarily just for Dunk. Um, After we got some really good feedback from some of our other influencer friends and some brands we were working with, I decided to create a standalone product, got my friend Anna Claire, who I met at Canada's Top 20 under 24 years ago, to come on board. And he was at Stanford at the time, but he dropped out after second year, after completing his second year. Um, And yeah, we're a team of 11 people now. We raised over a million dollars. We're working with some of the biggest brands in the world, trying to show them not only who their top fans are, but who their competitors' top fans. And it's just been a crazy journey, dude. Like we've gone through so many ups and downs that it's also been like the single, you know, biggest learning experience for me in the last year and a half. Mm. And, and if uh, for anybody wondering, by the way, if you if you don't follow Swish on on IG, he actually has a highlight story that that captures a lot of those moments, which I love. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just because it goes through the journey. So, so if you really want to see what he's actually talking about, uh, he does a great way uh, kind of documenting that. For you, man, when you when you talk about, you know, these ups and downs, you're a young dude. A lot of people listening are kind of in our age category. They're looking to venture into entrepreneurship. What sort of things, you know, going through that, whatever, now almost two years with TrueFan, um, would you say were probably the, the most difficult to face? Yeah, I mean, look, in our first year, in the first seven months of starting the company, we got hit up with a trademark violation. 
Um, we yeah. had to rally up a legal team to fight that suit, which in the end we decided to forfeit the suit because we didn't think it was worth putting more money into it. Um, mm. We had a ton of product delays. We thought the product would come out in June. It turned out it took another whole seven months to come out. Um, and we had a bunch of failed hires as well. People that we hired on, we thought that they would be motivated to work. It turned out they weren't, and we had to part ways with them. So that was all in the span of one year. And actually, I wrote an article about it um, it's called Chaos and Beauty, and it's on Medium. And I wrote mm. a 20-minute article on everything that happened in our first year, both the good things and the bad things, to really show people that when you get into entrepreneurship, it's impossible, no matter how much you plan, to predict what will happen. And the biggest trait an entrepreneur, in my opinion, can have, looking back now, is the ability to adapt quickly and to trust that your teammates, whoever is on your team, will have your back. Mm. Yeah, that's very true, especially um, like, you know, navigating these things. I, I always kind of wonder that, that there isn't really a blueprint like, you you know, you can obviously read stuff, you can talk to mentors and whatever. But a lot of it is just kind of executing like you just have to jump into it, do it, figure it out as you go. Um, and a lot of that is, is intuition. So, you know, when, when you are navigating these things and you, you know, you might have a bit of fear or, or kind of resistance or whatever, what, what do you go to, to to kind of reduce that anxiety on your part? I talk to my mentors a lot. Um, so the good thing is some of the mentors that I had in my life, like Ryan Holmes, mm. um, Manny Pata, who runs New Avenue Capital, or Michael Hyatt, um, these are all people I've actually looped into the company, either as an advisor or an investor. So it's really easy now for me to be able to book time out of their calendars, to talk to them on the phone or to go meet them and just vent. Like, you know, we actually, something really cool too, beyond just talking to mentors, we also talk to our our team about everything we're paranoid about. Every Thursday at 5 p.m., we have something called a paranoia session where the team comes together and we just spitball every single thing that is making us worried. And the cool thing is, even though you might think that doing that will just like lessen the morale of the team, it actually enhances it because everybody's super vulnerable. They're honest about their shortcomings and what they're afraid about. And it's a really cool way then for people to kind of build each other up. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, man. It's it's kind of just uh, that openness, and uh, we we actually spoke about this, uh, if you recall, uh, at the dinner that we had with Saad and and Kieran, just in terms of having a peer group. Because as an entrepreneur, man, and a lot of the, the talk is, you know, like you're running solo, so it seems like a almost like an individual sport where you don't really have someone to vent to, especially when you're the CEO, let alone being, you know, in your, in your low mid twenties, um, trying to figure this all out, trying to grow it, you know, with the pressure of obviously investors and all that stuff happening. Uh, and now, you, you know, you have people working under you, like, it's a lot to take in. Um, and, and so having that is a really important piece. Definitely, definitely. And the biggest thing, too, is just when I came out to Toronto, obviously, initially for the company, we were in Vancouver for about eight, eight months. Um, when we raised money from Round 13 Capital and we came to Toronto, uh, mm. the, the best thing I think we did is the entire team immersed themselves into the Toronto community. So again, like whether it's our basketball sessions every Saturday um, or going to like a Tech Toronto event and demoing there and meeting the community, you know, all of that makes you kind of feel like you're not alone in this challenge and you actually have other people you can talk to. And even though you might not be working on the same project, there's a lot of commonalities from an entrepreneurial perspective on how to deal with struggles and failures and challenges ahead. Right. You, one of the things I really love about you, man, is that obviously you have a very strong personal brand, but you've kind of taken that model that you've built for yourself personally 
uh, and embedded it into TrueFan. One of the things that you did, which was super exciting, is get Kyle Kuzma, for those who don't know, uh, starter on the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, right alongside LeBron James. And when you first told me that, I'm like, fuck, that's crazy, man. You're literally like an arm's away from LeBron, like, like the go- <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know if everybody's going to agree, yeah. but the GOAT, you know, sorry, guys, like Kobe, MJ, I get it. The current GOAT, um, which is insane, man. So I feel like for a lot of people wondering who aren't maybe as close to you, how the hell did this happen? How do you yeah, get Kuzma to invest in your in your startup? Yeah, it's all relationships. Honestly, like one of my favorite people in the world is a guy named Austin Eastman. Um, he actually attended Utah, um, the same school that Kyle Kuzma, DeLon Wright, and Jakob Pertl all came mm. from. And he played on the basketball team and became really good friends with them. So when Austin Eastman came on board as an investor and his brother became our CFO, actually, um, he wanted to get some of his friends who had played ball with him in Utah to invest as well. So he set up a bunch of meetings and he introduced me to Kuzma when I was in L.A. We went paintballing with him and Contavious Caldwell Pope, which was crazy. Like, thank God I was on their team. I was really really (laughs) scared to face him. And then we went, yeah, then we went clubbing that night, got to know the guy. He invited me over to his house the next day and I was just super honest with him. Like, this is the, you know, even though he's seven feet or whatever, he's really tall, he's really big, whatever. (laughs) Like, he's literally like my age. He's 23 years old, you know, so... For me to talk to him and make him realize this could be a cool opportunity for him to get his foot into the door of investing and into thinking about the future was really easy for me to do. Mm. Yeah, it, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's what you were saying in the beginning with relationships. Uh, the other thing I, I found pretty, pretty distinct, I, I would say, just even being your friend uh, and having known you now for, I would say, what, three years, I guess, two and a half, yeah. three years, yeah. um, is, is your ability to, to build communities. That's one thing, honestly, that I, I can say genuinely is, is I, I took notice more than obviously the other things. But um, even with like when you see the basketball runs, man, do you remember like when we first started, it was like five people? Yeah. Like me, you, Scotty, Anik, like, you know, it was, it was a couple people. And now it's like a fuck, like for those who don't know, it's like a 40, 50 person list where okay. we're literally like jamming the YMCA. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, I, by the way, I told the YMCA that I deserve <laughs> some benefit or discount. Of Give like me commissions, bro. Literally, bro, how many people like we brought to the YMCA, we deserve like free membership or something. Dude, you're <laughs> responsible for 20% of the revenues, I guarantee you. <laughs> It's jokes. No, but, man, that's but that, a, that's that important. Is, that's the importance, dude. Like, honestly, the thing I prided, like, 2018, again, was a super rough year for me personally. You know, I went through mm. a lot. Why is that? Just, like, why, know, why in particular? Yeah, parents got divorced and they split up. My, my grandfather mm. passed away, like, two weeks later. I had a friend, you know, commit suicide as well a few months later. And, like, wow. it was just, it was, like, one after the other after the other. Like, you know, things were going so well professionally. And obviously, you know, by well, I mean, they were doing, things were picking up. Like, they're progressing. Even, even with the startup, like, there, there, there were a bunch of failures that got me down as well. But at the same time, it was crazy just to look at my personal life and, like, feel like, holy crap, like, things are going south in a very, very quick way. So, for me, I started realizing that the single best thing I could do outside of work is to be not only a good human being, but a good friend. You know, and to be loyal to the people around me, to be loyal to the people who stood up for me or gave me opportunities. And that's why I love the basketball runs. You know, like I literally sometimes book flights home on Friday just, just so I can get back home to play yeah. basketball on Saturday. Because the enjoyment that I get from playing with you guys, who all of you guys support me and I support you. And it's a very positive environment where we can openly chat and, you know, just have fun and sweat everything out like. It's just an awesome experience to be able to see that community grow and to see more and more people who are incredibly positive, incredibly optimistic, and really smart 
but have literally no ego come together and just be cool. Mm. Yeah, I love that, man. And I, I echo that as well. It's not just the community like where you're, you know, you're obviously playing basketball, a sport we all love, um, we all follow, but but it's also like-minded people. Like, yeah. as you're saying, it's almost like, you know, when you're taking a break or you're sitting on the side, you're chatting at the same time, you're catching up in, in a very, cool, like I guess, positive environment. You know, you're doing the best of both worlds. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you take that model to true fan where you're trying to build obviously you know a community around what you're doing what would you say is like you know in terms of obviously your sales funnel and stuff that's always difficult i don't think people understand the magnitude like yes you have a, a strong personal brand but when you actually have a product you have to demo it you have to get people to believe in it how did you find success you know even like signing recently on kevin hart uh you know just to gain that traction i mean you're really you're starting to pick things up now and i'm kind of curious like wh- what are you finding most traction in basically yeah, man, I think we're, we're finding a lot of traction, honestly, on the brand side. So mm. my vision for where I want to take TrueFan isn't just working with really big brands, but I want to service small businesses as well. Um, I find that a lot of social media management tools like Sprinkler, Crimson Hexagon, Tagger, all of these platforms have just priced themselves way too expensive. They're not affordable for small business owners that in my opinion, they need that data. They need those insights about who's coming to their store or who's talking about them in a very positive way or who's talking negatively about their competitors that they can poach over and grab market share from. This is all data that I think is really valuable for small businesses. So that's, I think, the trajectory we're going, man, is we're trying to focus more on the brand side than influencers now. But at the same time, we're trying to focus on brands that were just left behind by social media management tools. And are you focusing on on certain social channels? I mean, obviously, when you say, you know, top fans, like, you know, you have IG, which is, you know, uh, probably the common one. You have LinkedIn, you have YouTube. But which one, like, which one do you, do you find, like, is, is definitely the first one that you want to you wanna crack? Honestly, the, the one that we cracked already, but it was the biggest win, I think, on our product side this year was Instagram. Instagram, um, yeah. So being able to, to analyze data from Instagram and show people they're engaged in influential fans, but then even go deeper and add like location data and hashtag keyword analysis and sentiment analysis, all of that was groundbreaking for Instagram. Um, also, a lot of brands literally only use Instagram unless you're kind of going toward like luxury items or you're looking at the airline and hotel industry that doesn't use Twitter a lot. Most brands right now, especially community-oriented brands, use Instagram only. So for us, that's been you know a huge win on our product end. What was different for you when you like when you were looking to start this? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people wanted to get in the Martech space. You know, they want to start something in fintech, etc. For you, obviously, you partnered with the, with the right people. Maybe made some. You know, there was some hiccups with the team early on, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what would you say you were looking for? Like when you first started, you're like, all right, I need one, two, three. This is what I'm good at. I'm probably good on the marketing side, the business side, but I have to align myself with with four key people. How do you set out to actually partner with people who complement your weakness? That's a great question. Um, there's two types of people that I came up with. One is somebody that has a totally different skill set for me. So I'm Which not is? A pro- I'm not a product guy. Um, oh, okay. I've actually become a product guy over time in terms of being able to analyze design and being able to give really, really good insights in there. But I needed someone that could understand what developers were saying. Because I initially, actually, we got our MVP built from an external agency. So mm-hmm. I didn't know if I was getting underpriced or overpriced or if the guy was actually you know, being honest about what he could build out with that budget and that time frame. So I needed somebody like Onyx to come in and say, look, I'm not the person who builds the app for you, but I can talk to developers. I can communicate their language into a language that makes sense for you. And I can be that middle channel. So that's mm. one person I needed. The second person I needed was a Scott 
And I actually always tell people that I think every organization should have a Scott in their company because a Scott is somebody who will make your company their life's work. And that's literally to quote what Scott told me on the phone. I remember exactly where I was. I was on Spadina and Dundas uh, mm. and I was driving in an Uber. Scott called me after the LinkedIn Ottawa meetup that he invited Elliot Knight out to. And he just told me, look, man, like I'm working a job right now, but I'll quit. I'll make TrueFan my life's work. And he did that, dude. He moved from Ottawa yeah. to Vancouver. He drove he all drove. the way, you know, and then he Crazy. came all the way Shout back to, to Scotty. Toronto, right? So that's the type of person you want as like your third or fourth person. And you want somebody that is in it for the long run. They're not just in it for a resume booster or a quick buck. Mm. That's very true, man. I, uh, I really resonate with that. It kind of makes me think of that uh, the show like Silicon Valley. I know we, we joked about it once, uh, but the, you know the kind of team di- di- dynamic and, and the different roles that you need to complement together. Yeah. But I find that's always the most difficult thing, man. Believe it or not, like when I'm talking to founders, dude, the the, the biggest challenge they usually have is is partnering. Mm. You know, because not everyone has the right relationships, and I think they they realize that too late, and then they're scrambling to find the right people. But uh, as you know. You, you know, building trust takes time, man. And if you're in it for the long run, you might not, you, like they might have the same qualifications that you're looking for, but they, not, they might not be the right people to, that you, that you want to work with. Totally. Uh, those are totally. two different things, right? If that's why culture is, is an actual thing. You know, is there a fit? Exactly. And that's been something that's been on our mind ever since we even started hiring more people, right? I mean, we're a team of 11 people now, three developers and the rest are, you know, we have three marketing interns and sorry, marketing and sales interns. And then we had a business development manager, Cameron, who came on full time in May. Like we're Mm -hmm. looking for people that fit our mold. And that mold isn't, you know, you got to be a tech guy. You got to be into social media. You got to be into basketball. It's just you got to be a hard worker that is ready to adapt quickly to any problem that is in front of you. And it's very hard to find that type of person from looking at just a resume. You know, I've been, I've been thinking a lot more about how to hire people and how to make that process smoother. But the real answer to that is the people we've hired so, like thus far, they've either come in and they've done some free work for us and we liked working with them. So we brought them full time and paid them. Or they were people that we just hung around we hung around them for like a month to two months and we're like, damn, you know, like you have a great skill set. Why don't you come to TrueFit? Like it's impossible in my opinion, especially in that early stage to just hire off just a resume. Mm. You know, it makes you think of this. This I was having a conversation with a good buddy of mine. He works at Georgian, uh, Georgian Partners, pretty big VC for those who, who don't mm-hmm. know. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, we're just chatting and, and I'm, I'm like, dude, listen, I have a question for you. He, so he's basically on, on obviously the execution team. He's an associate there, um, and I'm like, how do you when you're looking at all these deals? And obviously you're you're on the sort of the top spectrum, like in terms of who gives capital. They have a leg up, obviously, because of the network, the capital, all that stuff. And he he basically told me he's like, listen, George, everybody, if you want to look at all the partners at Georgian, each one of them has like an, an it factor that they're looking for, but every, every one of them is different. So for one yeah. partner, but their, their it factor is very different than the other person. For them, it could be the, the founders. For the other, it could be the product, the tech, the client, um, you know, the, the, the vertical of technology that they're in, et cetera. So kind of relating that to what you're saying, what is that it factor that you look for in people now that you've hired 11? Moving forward, what's that one thing, man, that kind of gut instinct that, that gets you when you're looking at someone? Loyalty, dude. That's it. You know, mm. I want to I want to know, especially this is really important because when we hire people, sometimes they're coming from another company and I want to know how they're talking about that other company. 
like obviously they can say that you know maybe they didn't fit or they didn't have a good time with you know their job and they didn't have a lot of fun doing it but if they're shit talking the people at the company if they're shit talking <laughs> their boss that's definitely not something that i would would look at and be like yeah this is the person you know i want somebody that even if something's going really bad they stay loyal to the company that they're with I asked uh, Saad Siddiqui uh, from Shop Bonsai this, this question. Who's I wanted that? to ask you I'm this. Kidding, uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Fuck Saad. <laughs> we got to give the, the, the shout out to Saad, man. He's going to love this. Um, great guy, man. And uh, I asked him this question and I'm like, dude, listen, like, you know, you're obviously in your mid 20s. Um, you know, Shop Bonsai, I forgot the last count, but I think they're at like 35, 40 people, somewhere around there. Anyways, uh, going pretty, pretty well. Um, and I'm like, being a young entrepreneur, being a young CEO, do you find it difficult when when people older than you report to you in terms of like decision making? How do you get across that? I know TrueFan right now is mostly like, you know, younger team. But as you grow and stuff, do you have that hesitation? And if so, how do you overcome basically selling that vision regardless of, of your age? Yeah, totally. I mean, look, I, our, our CFO is 29 years old. Trevor, our, our head of sales, Scott, is 26 years old. I'm 22 so it initially was something I thought about, like when I was giving them instructions and, you know, I was, they were listening to me and I'm like, holy shit, what's happening? Like, how, like, why are they listening to me? Like, do they, do they trust me? Do they think I know something that they don't? Like it did, it did come into my head, like that whole age gap and the difference there. But I think the best part about it is I think we're just all aligned on a certain mission, you know, and once you're aligned on a certain mission and you buy into the thesis of the company and I was the person that developed that thesis. Once they buy into that thesis, wherever the person who created it wants to go, people will follow. So I personally think that, A, you know, they, they have a lot of buy-in and a lot of trust into my vision, into my ideas, into what I've built so far, and vice versa. I have the same thing about them. But B, it's also a very collaborative process here in TrueFan. Like, I've come now into meetings where I am not talking that much, which I'm, I'm very happy about. Like, I've come into a lot of marketing meetings and sales meetings where Cameron and Scott are directing the entire meeting. And I'm just sitting there being like, all right, like, I feel useless. No, I'm kidding. But, like, I just, I just sit there and I, I, I just approve things. I'm like, all right, that's a great idea. Let's do it. But they're coming up with everything. And that's, I think, the standard of leadership is if you have to talk a lot, you're not a leader. Um, mm-hmm. If you listen a lot, I think that's the real definition of being a leader. I love that, man. And I was actually going to ask you that because I, like, right after, right before this story, I, I had a um, Ron Tide, who's uh, the, the CEO and founder of Church yep. and State. It's you know, yep. yeah, great, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's Ron part Tide, of speaker, speaker, speaker spotlight. spotlight. That's how you know. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. I didn't know. Uh, great dude, man. I, I love that guy. Great presenter. Um, great creative mind. Anyways, I, I was asking him a similar question, and he's like, uh, it was basically around like, what do you look for in a creative? And he's like, it's not really for me to answer because Lionel, who's who heads up their their creative side, he makes those decisions. And if he wants to come to me for like, you know, a sounding board or a second thought, I'll give it to him. But anything to do with that creative aspect of our firm, he deals with and he's fully accountable for. Um, so that's mm-hmm. kind of their flavor. Basically, what I want to ask you then is like, what what is distinct about TrueFan? Because every startup has a flavor. You know, they have their own kind of a feel vibe to it. What do you think sets you apart from all the MarTech? you know, startups out there? What's distinct? Like, what makes you different? In terms of what we do, I think it's it's three things. Um, one is price point. So as mm. I was mentioning, you know, Sprinkler, Crimson Hexagon, they all started about 7K per month. Our plans start at $500 a month, which is way more affordable. 
Um, we're also very flexible in our pricing model. So if you don't want to pay a monthly subscription and you only want to use TrueFan data for a specific project, like more of an ad hoc payment, um, we're totally willing to accommodate that. The second thing is how specific our data is. So we don't just tell you what your audience is generally saying. We actually tell you like, this is Tom and that's Fred. And these are like their individual profiles on Twitter and Instagram that you can directly engage with. And the third and final thing, which I'm very, very proud about, is we don't only just show people their top fans, but we can help them find new audiences that are primed for conversion. So brands currently spend about $64 billion a year listening to their existing customers, but they spend 10 times more trying to find new customers. And that's where TrueFan can also help, is finding people that are similar to your top fans, that have similar characteristics, but these are new customers that you can reach out to and hopefully bring them into your system. Nice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. As, as you can tell, by the way, I've given that, that answer a lot of fun. times. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fun, man. That's but, well, that's good. Yeah, you reflected a lot on it. Oh, very much. It's second nature, but at the same time, it's part of my pitch, right? When I pitch clients, the three things I do is I identify the problem. I talk about what true fan does. And this is where a lot of people mess up is they don't do number three, which is how are you different? And where do you fit in the marketplace compared to other startups that are doing similar things? How does Swish stay sane? Sane? What does that mean? Sane, like as in uh, level-headed. Oh, man, I have a ruthless mom. That's one. Uh, if you know me ruthless off LinkedIn, mom. yeah, you will know that my mom goes into the comments <laughs> and she will roast me. But it's true, man. Like, literally, anytime I feel like I'm the shit, my mom makes me feel like shit. <laughs> uh, so that's one. Number two, though, number two, though, I think is just my goals are very high. Um, so even though like sometimes I've accomplished things that others are like, that's great. You know, like that's amazing. Like, look at your age and look at what you've done. I just genuinely don't feel the same way. And it's not to say that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, underplaying my achievements either. I'm very proud mm -hmm. of what I've done, but I have goals that are, are very big. So for me to feel content um, which by the way, I hope I never feel content in my life because the minute I feel content means that I'm not successful. But generally speaking, the goals that I have are so big that I'm always striving to get to something else, you know, trying to hit another milestone or trying to hit a new challenge or, or get another goal done. So mm. it's just, it's hard to feel cocky and feel like I've made it and feel like I'm better than everyone when I'm still working towards something. Don't you feel though, I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable, I guess, with you, but because um, I, I know you can relate to this. But listen, man, like, I, I think the trap that I'll get caught up in um, is basically this, like, you know how everybody will tell you, enjoy those small wins, like yeah. those small moments, you know, yeah. and I'll obviously enjoy the process. We hear this a lot, especially being young, dude, you're going to look back and be like, fuck, I did this at 23, you know, because mm -hmm. you'll tell this to some people and be like, man, at 23, I was playing with marbles, you know? Um, whereas now like you're building all this and to your point, I, I kind of share that mindset is like, I'm nowhere close to where I want to be to that point right. though. How do you, how do you, how do you stay present, man, despite always having to plan for the future, especially being in a fucking landscape that's evolving every millisecond. Yeah, man. Look, I, I, I personally speaking, especially this year again, with the whole work-life balance and my emphasis towards, you know, friends and, being with people and you have gone better at this by the way from someone who knows you personally i've, I've seen you. that change in you so i can i can thank vouch. you thank you but uh, yeah that's something that i've been trying to strive towards right i'm trying to put out time to work out i'm playing basketball saturdays i go out dude and i'm a belligerent drunk sometimes <laughs> like i do i do stupid shit on the weekends right so like that stuff that keeps me sane and it keeps me so that i'm not you know 
only focusing on work. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also enjoying my time building things, you know, like as much as I'd like to say that every minute working on TrueFan is amazing. It's not like anybody who says that, you know, working on the startup that I'm building is always blissful. It's either not making money or they're, this is like not their full time job. So I, I personally, I personally, you know, take a lot of bliss, obviously, in the direction we're going in and the big wins and the team that we've constructed. It's always fun coming into work and chatting with them. But I also need to have fun outside of work. And that's where, you know, my friends and my family members and all those other moments kind of complete me. Right. It keeps you grounded almost. I mean, and, and, and to your point, I, I love the, the point that you just made because so many entrepreneurs, man, they'll be like, well, entrepreneurship is, is so glorified and all that. We hear this. But basically, it's like everybody has this expectation that it's always sunshine and rainbows, et cetera. Whereas, when, you know, in the beginning, like you're doing so many of the tasks that you actually don't want to be doing, you know, and I don't think they, they realize that you're doing like, I don't know, maybe the accounting, the payroll, the HR, the culture. There's so many things that go into it that you might, you, it's not your passion, totally. you know, but, but you totally. have to do it. If this is what you, you want to do, it's part of it. And that's why I love, you know, when people take college, for example, like I'm very pro college, even though I only did two years and I dropped out. But, you know, Anik and I have chatted about, hey, after TrueFan, where whenever that is, are we going to go back? Like, even if we're 30 years old, are we going to go back to school? And I was like, yeah, maybe we will. Um, why not? Yeah. The reason why is because a lot of people complain about being in school and they complain about their work either not being meaningful enough or their work just being too tedious. Like it's too much like stupid small stuff and I look at that and I'm like well if you can't deal with that how the hell are you going to be an entrepreneur like how are you going to you know like take all of the small stuff you have to do as an entrepreneur from exporting files from word documents to pdf so you can sign the damn contract and email it back like literally one core example right there from my day to day you know how are you going to do all the small tedious stuff like that if you're not even able to stay in school and be in a controlled environment with your friends and find some bliss in that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's a bit, it's a little tough. I mean, like that's kind of why I wanted to know from you, you know, like what basically what, what, what kind of motivates you? Is it, is it creating a legacy as an entrepreneur? Is it, you know, being someone who people know as a value or impact? What is that for you? Like, what is your tagline? Basically when you wake up and you get out the door, what, what's your sort of fire? I, I just have, I have a 40-year-old vision, right? So for me, like, I can see myself as when I'm 45 saying I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an entertainer, and I'm a politician. Those are the three things I want to do in life. I'm only at step one, and I'm probably like 20% done step one, <laughs> if not even less. So for me personally, again, it's the 20-year-old vision that motivates me is thinking, you know what, when I go into the shower and I'm shower dancing, like, fuck. Maybe in like five, six, seven years, I could be dancing with a crew, you know, like that type of stuff, even though, you know, you could joke around, you could laugh about it right now. I'm going to make it happen. Like I'm going Mm -hmm. to take what's in my head and I know I'm going to make it happen as long as all the pieces fit, as long as I'm doing something I love and I have people around me that I love as well. I know I'll be able to do it. And that's what motivates me. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. And actually on that, like, aren't you a little bit afraid of always reinventing yourself? Not always. I mean, like every single day, but uh, you basically said three things, right? Um, yeah. Entertainer, politician, etc. Yeah. Um, and I asked Ron this same question, actually, as well, in terms of just reinventing. And especially for you, I'm asking this because you have a, a pretty big following now and it's only going to keep growing. Um, and with with that spotlight, because I think with that spotlight creates more pressure on you, uh, presumably so. 
but but don't you feel like when you want to reinvent yourself or you want to maybe pivot a little bit that you have this almost like fuck like i have to now you know communicate it and do it in a way that that connects because i sometimes i feel that a little bit um and maybe from someone who can who can resonate i want to see you kind of your perspective on it totally i mean look i i i'm very much for reinventing yourself right as somebody right now like i'm i'm an entrepreneur but on the side i do speak i've, I've written a book right. that's coming out next year i've you know, have like a shoe deal with K-Swiss that we designed a shoe. Like Which we've done stuff, great. right? Like we've done stuff outside of entrepreneurship where it would be weird if you thought, hey, like you're an entrepreneur and you designed a shoe, what the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah, that can happen. It can be connected, right? Because the theme for K-Swiss was supporting entrepreneurs and it's connected. So for me, again, I'm not afraid of reinventing myself, but even beyond that, I think the fear of reinventing yourself and being too paranoid about it can kill dreaming. And I really think that the number one thing, mm. especially adults need to, to keep in mind is just keep dreaming, like dreaming. Obviously, you want to act on those dreams and you want to go towards, you know, taking your dreams into becoming a reality. But if you can't see where you want to be, you're never going to end up there. So the first step of being able to dream and not being afraid of like, God, what are my followers going to say about me if I start posting dancing videos? That's just stupid stuff. So you're basically with Instagram taking away the likes, I believe. In what way? In a different, like basically connecting it to, because you're saying like, you know, being afraid of putting out a video. So kind of relating that to, to what IG recently did for Canada, just kind totally, of taking totally. all the likes. I, I'm all even, for it. Yeah, but even if they kept it, I don't think it would change anything. Like, I think the real thing that we need to be teaching people is very simple, which is people genuinely don't have as much time to judge you as you might think. Yeah. They're so afraid already about how they're being perceived by other people that they have literally no time to judge you. So yeah. the next time that you're in a setting and you're like, oh my God, if I crack out and do a dance or if I take five Jaeger bombs in this networking conference, what's going to happen? Don't worry about it because people might just for a split second be like, all right, that's a little weird, but they'll move on because again, we're all living in this world where we're just constantly trying to project a certain image and we're always worried about that image that so we don't have time to judge other people as much as you might think. That's very true. That's very true. And and, and the flip side of that is I think the reason people uh, don't really realize that as much is because obviously on social channels, you're putting out your best self. We all know that with filters and best pictures, but it's kind of like what Jim Carrey says. He's like, uh, you know, when I grew older in life, basically, the, the one thing I realized was that everybody was pretending to have to have things figured out, you know, and uh, it kind of rings true, man. Like uh, if you're not really posting about your, your weaknesses or your vulnerabilities, people get this this sensation that you're you're always have your shit, your shit together, you know, yeah. or you're you're sitting on a, on a, on a beach in the Bahamas or something. What? Well, in the meantime, you know, you're waking up at six o'clock, like screaming, your, your, you know, your alarm going to Starbucks, getting the coffee, the same kind of routine that, you know, everybody kind of goes through, but, but you're putting that best self out. Totally. And I'm, I'm, I'm still guilty of that. You know, like I don't feel like I'm a hundred percent authentic on social media. Like I still mm. feel like I sometimes I talk too much about the successes and the wins on LinkedIn and on, on Instagram, but you know, it's a tough I, balance, man. It's, it's a, a tough, tough balance. balance. Exactly, yeah. it is, man. Because I also don't want to, you know, I don't want to post things that are, are too negative or I don't want to be too real, you know, because here's another thing too, man. Like I, I've also started to learn that as much as I do a lot on social media, like I need to have an identity that's totally separate from it. And there's a lot of things that I want to keep to myself that I don't want to yeah. share with people. So a lot a of those vulnerabilities, exactly. A lot of those vulnerabilities and failures and like just personal things that are going through me, like I don't feel the need now to share those. 
you know, and that's maybe why I only share certain pieces of content that tend to be very positive or tend to, you know, portray my, my strengths and, and my, my wins. But a lot of the failures and the things that I go through, I tend not to share because I generally just want to keep those moments for myself to reflect on. Mm. Yeah, man, that's a fuck. That's a great topic, dude. Just because it's so true, and there's always a divide, right? Like you obviously want to be- put your best self forward, especially now because you also have a company. Like you don't want to be the guy who every you know Monday morning is talking about maybe a fuck yeah. up or a failure. Like yeah. you know, it's, it's a bit yeah. disconcerting for for yeah, your you know, people working with you. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Like, are you always depressed? Like I, yeah. I don't know. Like, there's a bit of yeah. an issue there, and maybe you know, maybe the solution is not you talking about it on IG, but actually like stepping away from IG and fucking fixing the problem itself. Exactly. And that's what, that's why I like our paranoia sessions, right? We, by the way, in the paranoia session, there's literally a rule that we have, which is you can't bring a video camera in. You can't bring, you you lift your phone up to try to take a Snapchat or whatever Instagram story. We will smash that phone and buy you a new one. (laughs) Like that's what's going to happen because it's a time for people to just be off the grid. They got to be vulnerable. They got to share things that they don't feel like they're being judged by people that aren't involved in that room. Yeah. I got to ask you, man, and I know that this is one thing I wanted to share with people because I know it's something you do uh, particularly, but you write notes in your, oh, sorry, you text yourself messages sometimes. You actually did it once on my phone because <laughs> yours ran out of battery. So you're like, dude, can I, we were at a dinner for anyone listening. Um, we're at a dinner, Swish, Swish's phone died basically. And he's like, man, give me your phone. I'm like, yeah, man, here, if you want to make a call, literally send himself a text message. I'm like, yeah. why would you do that? He's like, I, we just talked about something and I wanted to write down as a note. I'm like, yeah. oh. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, I text myself a lot, dude. Like out of everyone, like I, heard, I remember getting this question actually in a panel, which was like, "Who do you text the most?" It was like a rapid fire round. <laughs> myself. Like, myself. Like, <laughs> and everybody was looking at me like, "Wow, this guy's really slowly." Like, what the yeah. hell? Um, but no, I text myself a lot, and I have over three thousand notes in my phone that is organized by true fan, the book speaking my personal life like everything I just like organizing my life and my thoughts in that way because for me and it's actually something I'm still trying to get over is I'm really scared of forgetting things Mm. so I'm just afraid that oh my god like what if I have a great idea in the morning when I wake up and then when I get to work I forget it or at that night if I have a great idea but like oh my god if I take one more drink maybe I'll forget it (laughs) so I just I need to in the moment exactly I need to write it down I need to I need to put it out and it actually led to another problem now, which is where I text myself so much and I sometimes don't have time to reflect through all of those text like messages. <laughs> exactly. So sometimes now I have to block off literally a Friday night. Like tonight when I go back in like two hours, I'm going to go back and I've devoted 30 minutes for just looking back at the week's text so that I can go through all the text messages I've sent myself and make sure that if I set a reminder, I follow through with it. If I had a cool idea, I wrote it down somewhere. All of that stuff, I need to go and reflect on it. That's pretty sweet, man. What What are you most inspired by right now? There's so much. There's so much I'm inspired by. I think for me right now, I'm actually very inspired by the direct-to-consumer space. Um, okay. I've been watching so many videos uh, of Jennifer Rubio, um, who's mm, the founder of Away, the suitcase yeah. company. They have $100 million in revenue. Um, she's fantastic. You know, she comes from a non-entrepreneurial background. She figured it out with her co-founder, which was awesome to see. But I'm very bullish about that because I actually genuinely think that the next project I work on after TrueFan, whenever that might be, um, will be building a product of some kind that 
people can use and I can see them using it on the street and I can have more of a global imprint, but do it through a direct-to-consumer model, so entirely online. Gotcha. One thing I want to say before I ask you the last question, but uh, one thing I actually remembered as you're, you're, you're talking now is um, you shared this one thing on your, on your story, I think uh, maybe like last week, but you were basically saying like one thing I actually do a lot, I being you, um, is, is watch a lot of entrepreneurs. That's something I do as well. So just like a quick tip for people, I know that you do that, is basi- mm-hmm. basically like, you know, either listening to their podcast or watching them speak or or maybe learn something that they do within their startup. Uh, entrepreneurship is a lot like being an, an athlete in, in a weird way, right? Maybe not as physical, um, but it requires kind of constant training. And even if you're the CEO and founder, it doesn't mean that you can't learn, right? So um, very true. Very, very true. Repurpose that for you. Um, yeah. Last question, dude, before we end this. Um, Kawhi. Lakers, Clippers, or Raptors? What do you think? <laughs> God, dude, it's gonna. I be gotta hard. ask, man. It's gonna be hard. Imagine we're doing this podcast, man. I'm not refreshing my phone, and and it's already out, and like we have no idea. And we have no idea. Yeah, the, the, honestly, this. honestly, look, this is my personal decision, but um, I wouldn't answer this in terms of where he'll go because I might be wrong, and I don't want to be wrong publicly. But okay. uh, I'll answer this as if I'm Kawhi. Where should he go? I think he should yeah. stay with the Raptors because. No, it's not only that. It's not only being in Toronto and being a little biased there because I actually growing up was a Lakers fan as well. So it's actually more ideal for me to stay the Lakers. But that being said, I I genuinely speaking think that a champion and and if you have a champion's mentality is to run it back. It's Mm. to say, all right, I won one. Let me defend my title in the same city. You know, that is that is a that's Mamba mentality right there. You know, that's a champion's mentality. So. I hope he does that. He doesn't take the you know, easy way out in terms of going to LA and being with two other superstars. That would just be something that I don't think taints his legacy, but it definitely wouldn't help it in any way. Yeah, it, it's it's like what Chris Broussard uh, recently said. He's like, his, basically this decision that he's going to make now will, will tell us a lot or ba- basically clarify a lot about his personality that he hasn't spoken about. Um, not that I think it'll define him, but I think we'll, we'll get a much better insight as to as to what he values, basically. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So we'll see, man. I'm not going to say anything. I'm right pumped. Now, but I'm, I just I can't wait till it's over, man. I've been talking. Man, the <laughs> NBA has given me more anxiety than, than my work. Like, honestly, it's, dude. It's been a honestly. problem, dude. <laughs> more more you, than a dude, great thing. Let me tell you, this has happened for the last two months because even during the playoffs, yeah, it was so hard to focus. It was hard to focus. It was hard to get the team to focus when we're all <laughs> thinking about, oh my God, like, is, is Katie back? Like, is he coming back tonight? <laughs> <laughs> How bad is his injury? Like, <laughs> man, it's crazy. The keeping up with the NBA, man. It's worse uh-huh. than the Kardashians, man. But, it really uh, is. Uh, man, much appreciated, dude. I, I really respect your time. Thanks for uh, for doing this again. I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy this. No, I appreciate it, man. It was always fun. George, you're, you're definitely one of my favorite people in the world. This is my favorite podcast, by the way. I have listened That's to a big. couple of episodes. Just saying, I, I listened to Saad's episode. Um, I listened to Quinn's episode. Like, I listened to a few episodes, and I genuinely find them really fun to listen to. So kudos always on, on doing this. 